Well, good morning. We're going to pray that my voice holds out. I'm fighting one of those summer colds, so must have got it in the mountains, Larry. I did want to take it a little bit of time just to give you a report back from our trip last week. We had an excellent time. It was really more than I even hoped it would be. Uh, I would consider it a near-perfect trip. The the dads did devotionals each night, and they were beyond what I had thought that they would come up with. They just did fantastic. The kids uh, just were troopers. Man, Graham and the other kids just did not complain. They stayed the course. They did a great job. Um, Bruce came along and gave us some great activities that really added to our time, and Larry was our uh, official guide and director and just did fantastic. So wanted to share just a few of the highlights with you. The first one is the Motley crew. The group of guys that went with us. Isn't that great? We had six dads and six sons. The ones that you might not recognize, third from, my, from the left up there is Greg Storm and his son Brock. Some of you may remember Greg. He was in college uh, here and went to Melanie Park. He was actually the best man in, in my wedding. Great friend. But he had been to this area before, so he agreed to meet us up there and kind of showed us some of the places that they'd been before, which was really great to have him along. Here we are on the trail and that green little patch of uh, uh, meadow down there in the, in the bottom is where we uh, put our base camp. So we are, in this picture, coming over the pass and going down into the valley. And this was just a beautiful place. We were surrounded by um, about 13,000, 13,000-foot peaks. Um, there were five or six of them around us. And we sat inside this little meadow, and it was absolutely beautiful. Um, this is a picture from... The lower lake, there were two lakes that we took a hike to, and this is a picture from what was known as the lower lake, and this was just one of the more picturesque places that we went. We, a couple of the guys, a few of the guys went and took a hike and saw waterfalls and mountain goats, and it was a beautiful, beautiful place. This one is my favorite. Isn't that great? They look good, don't they? And they taste good too, trust me. <clears throat> this was one of the unexpected surprises. Uh, I had hoped that we might catch some fish, but I was not expecting it. We planned all of our meals, not anticipating to have any fish, because I've done that before, and that didn't work out too well. <clears throat> so, uh, but lo and behold, we got a, a hold of a big old mess of fish, and uh, this was a fantastic time. Uh, in fact, at the lower lake here, when we were fishing, this was the place where I kind of had my biggest lesson of the trip. I think all of us had something that happened that was of significance, and mine occurred here um, at this lake. I had found a sweet little spot on the river that kind of came out of this lake. And uh, the fish were stacked up. You could look in the river, and there were 30 or 40 of them right there in front of you. And so I kind of sat back, and we were fly fishing. I was fly fishing and, and just kind of tossed it over and was having a big time just catching fish. And uh, while I was standing there, Greg, uh, Graham came up and said, Hey, Dad, can you teach me how to fish? <laughs> and to be real honest with you, my first thought was, I'd rather do that when I wasn't catching so many fish. <laughs> That's the honest truth. <clears throat> but I knew that that wasn't the right decision, so I said, sure, son, come on over. Let me show you how to do this. It was kind of hard because it was a small river. I was kind of casting through trees. Um, if you've ever been fly fishing, there's an art to this. And so uh, I told him, I said, here's what I'll do. I'll get it started, and you come stand in front of me, and we'll do it together. And so sure enough, I got it started. He stood in front of me, and then we started doing it together. And we caught a couple of fish that way. Uh, but it was a little bit frustrating at times because we didn't know where one was supposed to hold and when we were going back and forward. And so finally, at one point, I realized, okay, I need to let him do this. I said, okay, Graham, come here. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, it's okay if you're not successful with this, 
but you need to give this a try on your own. Let's see how this works. I was not expecting him to be able to do it, but he stood out there and did exactly what we did, threw it out there, first catch, (laughs) caught a fish. And I thought, that's pretty awesome. That was a highlight of my trip. So we had a great time, and but there was a lesson in there for me, and I shared this with the guys around the campfire that night. Bill, you'll remember us talking about this. I said, you know, that was a significant moment for me because it was a life lesson that I needed to learn with my son. And that is that I'm still at a point with Graham that I want to hold the rod. <laughs> I want to make sure that he has success. I want to do it with him. But he's becoming a young man, and there are things that he needs to encounter on his own where I need to hand him the rod teach him what to do, and let him fish on his own. Um, kind of reminds me of that Chinese proverb that says, give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach a man a fi- to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Well, that was the lesson that I learned uh, with my son this week, was to begin to teach him to fish so that he can feed himself for a lifetime, doing some of these things on his own. Well, well this morning, kind of in a similar way, I want to teach you how to fish. <laughs> I, I want to help you be fed for a lifetime. We're not going to talk about rod and reels. We're going to talk about using God's word and what we find there to literally feed us for a lifetime. And I want us to look at that together. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, what a gift we have in your word. And uh, I think myself included, we uh, just barely tap into the resource of its goodness um, even after having spent a lifetime looking at it. But this morning I pray that you would give us a unique insight into this special gift of your revelation in the Bible, that we would have a a peace and a comfort and just a real um, desire to go there often and that you would guide us through this time together. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we have started a series called Disciplines of the Inner Life. And I want us to be real honest right up front that spending time in God's Word is a discipline. It is a discipline. There are so many things in our world that grabs for our attention to the point that if we don't discipline ourselves to spend time in God's Word, the fact of the matter is it simply will not happen. It requires discipline. If the statistics mean anything, and often they give us some reflection, the Christian community is becoming increasingly lethargic when it comes to spending time in God's Word. The numbers suggest that less than half of those who profess to be Christians ever look at their Bible at any point in a typical week, other than what they might do on a Sunday morning. Less than one out of ten actually read it every day. But those are just statistics, and they don't have to be that way. In fact, those numbers don't even need to apply to us, and I pray that they would be different for us as a church family. And to help with that, I want to encourage you to to consider three things that we'll walk through together about spending time in God's Word. The three are hearing God's Word, reading God's Word, and, and applying God's Word. Now, they sound simple, and they are. And if you discipline yourself to do these things regularly, what you will find is that they will feed you for a lifetime. They are learning how to fish in God's Word so that you can be fed by a Spirit. It is a truth that truly transforms. 
let's begin in Luke chapter 6. If you would go ahead and turn there. Luke chapter 6. This is a familiar parable of the two builders. Um, and it's a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So I want to look at this together. Luke chapter 6 verse 47. you would read with me beginning in verse 47 jesus said everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts upon them i will show you whom he is like he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation upon the rock and when the flood rose and the torrent burst against the house it could not shake it because it had been well built But the one who has heard and has not acted according to what he has heard is like a man who built his house upon the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. We actually looked at this parable, if you've been at Melanie Park very long, a couple of summers ago. And when we looked at this parable, we learned that this was the closing parable to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Up until this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been contrasting two different kinds of righteousness. A repeated phrase that we heard him say was, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And then he gives this closing parable as if to say, when you build your house on what I say to you, when you hear my words And apply them. This is the righteousness that will endure forever. No storm will shake it. No flood will destroy it. The discipline of hearing God's word is a critical element to our journey in the faith. Because it is the the solid ground upon which we literally build our life. Because when it comes to to the foundation of our life, we need to understand... That there is no neutral ground. At any given point in time, you and I are being influenced by what we hear and believe to be true. In fact, you ultimately build your life. You, You make your decisions based on what you've heard and what you believe to be true. And so if you're not listening to truth, you will end up following lies your life will be built on the ground that doesn't have a foundation and it will eventually collapse under the weight of life's storms you see jesus gave only two options there's no neutral ground it is either the rock of his word or the shifting sands of deceit you see the apostle paul affirms this when he writes to the romans and he says this How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? He closes by saying, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. In other words, our journey of faith begins by hearing the word of Christ and believing it to be true. 
to the point that we build our life upon the foundation of that truth. But in the same way that you can't build Rome in a day, you can't build your life in just a moment. Each day presents itself with with new challenges, new decisions, new opportunities. And, And unless the Lord builds your house, you labor in vain. God's Word is the light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We need to, to hear God's Word regularly so that it can guide our steps consistently. You see, this is precisely why Paul instructs Timothy as, as Paul is closing out his ministry and in many ways passing the baton to Timothy. And a part of that instruction included these words. He says, Until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture because the strength of your walk with Christ is dependent upon hearing the Word of God. Timothy was to be devoted to teaching Scripture. And by implication, I think we would agree that the church is to be equally as devoted to hearing that taught and spoken within the congregation of its people. Timothy was not called to teach to an empty audience. He was to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. We, as a church, are to be devoted to listening consistently. What this tells me is that the the worship of God cannot be separated from the Word of God. We are called to consistently hear the Word of God spoken into our lives for the purpose of growing in godliness. This really makes it difficult to stand on the argument that we really need not be in church to to worship God. Now, when we were in the mountains, there was some beautiful worship going on as we saw His creation around us. But we must not relegate our corporate worship, to an issue of personal choice. Paul didn't tell Timothy, hey, if if it happens to work out for you, you know, to kind of coordinate your schedules in such a way that you can get together every once in a while, you know, it might be a good idea, if you have time, to open the Scriptures once in a while. (laughs) It's not what he said, is it? it? It was very clear. It was very simple. Under the inspiration of God, Paul said, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of the Scripture. And by implication, church, devote yourself to the public hearing of the Scripture being taught. Why? Because if if you don't, you will follow the voice of the world and not the voice of God. There is no neutral ground. Your life is... It is consistently being built upon what you hear and believe to be true. Oftentimes, I think what we do is we treat Sunday mornings kind of like a good option among many equally viable options. It's kind of like meatloaf on the a la carte line. (laughs) If you're hungry enough, you'll eat it. (laughs) Otherwise, there's plenty of other things to, to choose from. But Jesus said it. Live by the truth you hear And you will not be easily shaken. Paul affirmed it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. 
The church is called to live it. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Hearing the Word of God is an essential discipline in our journey of faith. But don't stop there. <laughs> That'd kind of be like walking into a gym with all this exercise equipment, sitting down, doing a few push-ups, and being done for the day. <laughs> don't do that. There, there's too many other things that are there for you to grow in godliness. Once again, I think God affirms this. He, he talks about hearing His Word, but He also talks about reading His Word. Let me give you a few examples. I'm going to just give you some out of Matthew, one gospel, okay? There's a repeated phrase. I want you to see if you can pick up on it. It won't be hard to miss. Listen to these examples. Matthew chapter 12 says this. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those with him but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what it means because you've read it, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Then you would have not condemned the innocent. Later on he says in verse 19, and he answered them and said, Have you not read? that he who created them before the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What their God has joined together, let no man separate. One more, Matthew 22. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Did you catch it? Did you catch the repeated phrase? Have you not read? The implication being made by Jesus in these examples that, is that each of us has an individual responsibility to not only hear God's word read publicly, but we are instructed repeatedly to read God's word individually. What's interesting in the examples that I gave you is that in each case, the, the people that Jesus is speaking to, most of the time them being religious leaders, they had read it. But they did not understand it because what they read in Scripture was overshadowed by the tradition of their religion. In other words, they missed the truth because of the priority of tradition. They lost sight of what God said because they became too dependent upon what man said. What this tells me is that the, the core problem of the people was spiritual laziness. They lost sight of what God said because they were too lazy to go read it for themselves. What's interesting, though, is that, that laziness, was, with, laziness was masked within the cover of busyness, religious busyness. They, they were in the synagogue. They were a part of the feast. They were in prayer. In our culture, we might say that they attended church. They were involved in fellowship. They participated in small groups. But when we abandon the discipline of reading Scripture for ourselves because of laziness, we end up relying on the testimony of, of others and their interpretation 
of what it means in our life. Religious tradition is based upon religious commentary. And over time, we become more dedicated to the traditions of man than the actual words of God. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I have a responsibility to discipline ourselves to read God's word regularly. Have you not read? Here's why. Turn to this one. This is a good passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for, listen to these things, teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What a great passage. We need to spend time in God's Word because this is where we encounter the truth that transforms our life. This passage tells us that that all of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, is profitable because it teaches us. In other words, it reveals truth that instructs us in our decisions, in our difficulties, in our daily lives. It also says that it's the source of reproof. That's the place where we're convicted of sin. And Paul said, I would have not known about coveting unless I read in the law, thou shalt not covet. Every man will do what is right in his own eyes unless he reads and understands what is right in God's eyes and then aligns his life to that truth. You see, the Scripture convicts us of sin, but, but it also redeems our mistakes. That correction of Scripture is the place of second chances. It not only reveals our sin, but in God's grace, His Word teaches us how to get back on track. It redeems our mistakes by, by leading us to a path of maturity, or as, or as this passage says, leading us or training us in righteousness. This is the heart of David when he writes, Strengthen me, O Lord, according to Your Word. The Word of God is a gift of God, intended to give us a blessing in our lives and the lives of His people. Discipline yourself to read it often. Hear it publicly, read it individually, and then finally apply it personally. This week, Terry shared with me some of the things that she has been learning in her Women's Adult Bible Fellowship on Sunday mornings. They've been going through a study with Beth Moore, and in one particular chapter that they read, Beth Moore relays an account, that, an experience that she had with her and her husband, Keith, when they went into a, a village of war-torn Angola. She talked about how overwhelming it was to have been confronted with literally tens of thousands of malnourished and famished people. She said nothing could have prepared them for what they saw while they were there. She talked about the, the bloated bellies of the children being supported on tiny little legs as they stood in line for just a single bowl of porridge. As they visited with one of the native people, he expressed one of his biggest frustrations. He says, 
It's such a discouragement to our efforts to help these people in these villages. When they receive seed from donations, instead of planting it to bring forth a harvest, they eat it. What was intended to feed them for a lifetime only satisfy them for a day. He said it was torture to watch this reality. But the same thing can happen in our life spiritually. Hearing his word, reading his word, it's very important. But unless we are applying it to our lives, and unless we are sowing that seed of truth to bring forth a harvest of truth, we have only a moment of satisfaction and a lifetime of continued hunger. We've all been there. We have. We, we've read about forgiveness in Scripture and There's this moment of conviction in our life. We may have even been moved to tears when we hear a sermon on the same topic. And it talks about our our call to forgive as we've been forgiven. We underline those words in our Bible and we may even commit them to memory. But our pride prevents us from turning the other cheek. We hold a grudge and we remain in the bondage of bitterness. We are imprisoned by the chains of unforgiveness. We eat the seed instead of sowing it into our life. We know it's truth, but we choose not to live by that truth. Unless we sow the seed, unless we harvest it in our life or sow it into our life, there is no harvest of truth. We're going to talk about this more next week, but but for now I want to encourage you not to turn your time in God's Word into an academic exercise where we just kind of chew on God's Word. We, we study it. We analyze it. But then we don't apply it. The words of Scripture are very personal and very specific to what you are going through in your life. They've been written to address situations that you will encounter on a daily basis. But the Bible is just not a book of benign principles. The Bible is the revelation of God. You're not studying a subject. You're reading the words so that you may encounter the living God. In this book, in Scripture, you're introduced to the one who is the way, the one who is truth, the one who gives you life. That's what's here. From start to finish, you'll find him. Let me encourage you to sit at his feet. Listen to him speak to you through his word. Read what it says in the quietness of your heart and apply it to your life so that you can reap the harvest of that truth. I like what Mr. Courtney tells his students. He reminded me of this last week. He says five minutes, five minutes a day. He tells me that his students kind of object to that, don't they? They say, that's not long enough. He says, no, no, no. Discipline yourself. Five minutes every day. See what happens. I think that's good advice. Go before the throne of grace with confidence. Trust in his spirit to guide you in all truth. Don't set out to master a subject like you would in school. But Get to know the person who wrote you a letter, a very personal letter. Pour over the words like you would 
a letter you receive from somebody you love? What is it trying to tell you? What is he speaking into your life? There's some days when it'll jump out at you and it'll be, it'll be crystal clear. There are other days where it's just one piece of the puzzle and it'll leave you a little bit confused until you continue putting the puzzle together and then it'll make sense. So stay with it. Don't give up. Let me encourage you to do something this week. It's just an application, okay? Five minutes a day, okay? Five minutes. Go to Psalm 119, okay? I'd love for you to take the time this week, five minutes a day, to read Psalm 119. What you're going to find there is David writing about the gift of God's revealed word. And as you read that, I want you to pray that the heart of David expressed in those words becomes your heart. So, Tim, as you read that, that you see that that's the heart that you want to have when you open God's word. That every one of us, when we spend time in his word, that that's what it does. It nourishes us. It allows us to speak what David does when he wrote Psalm 119 and says, how blessed it is to be in your word. It gives me strength, gives me hope, gives me direction. Thank you for that gift of your word. So five minutes a day. Can you do that? Just this week, give it a try. Listen, read, sow the seed. Let's pray. Father, what a gift you've given us. And I'm ashamed to say that many times, even for myself, I turn it into an academic exercise as I prepare for what we do each Sunday morning. I pray for myself and for everybody here that when we open your word, that it becomes the bread of life that it nourishes us for a lifetime, that we listen to it, that we read it, but then we plant it into our life, that we apply it so that we can reap that harvest of its truth. That when we read Philippians and we talk about Paul having joy in his life, even in difficult circumstances, that by listening and, and reading and applying that we would experience that same joy. When we read about forgiveness, that we would be able to experience that same forgiveness when we read about hope that we would be able to experience that same hope may we listen may we read may we sow the seed we love you jesus thank you for loving us enough to give us this gift we pray this in your name amen